This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. There's been a chaplaincy in the military since the early days of the Revolution. Chaplains provided spiritual and material comfort for young Americans going into harm's way to protect the country. Many chaplains have put themselves at risk and even paid the ultimate price for their faith. Even in peacetime, a chaplain's task can be trying and even dangerous. The military's role has always been to protect our freedoms. But what happens when some of those freedoms are denied to the very people who wear the uniform? What happens when the military's role is changed not just to protect the nation, but to serve as a tool for social engineering? I ask that and other questions of LCMS Director of the Ministry to the Armed Forces, the Reverend Craig Mueller. And now today's Fast Track. I'm Sarah Golseth with news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. Chaplain Alliance for Religious Liberty has sent a letter to the acting Secretary of the Army regarding the outgoing Secretary of the Army's decision to sign a directive just hours before his resignation that wastes valuable resources on a plan to provide, quote, training on implicit or unconscious bias. Quote, the military exists to protect our nation, not to be used as a laboratory for social engineering, and especially not from an outgoing official's 11th hour order, said Chaplain Ron Cruz, executive director of Chaplain Alliance for Religious Liberty. The outgoing Secretary of the Army, Eric K. Fanning, signed Army Directive 2017-06, promoting diversity and inclusion, just before his resignation. The directive requires the Army to spend time, money, and manpower to develop the training against implicit or unconscious bias. Earlier this month, the Missouri Senate rejected legislation that would have made Christian ministries and Christian business owners who believe in traditional marriage the target of anti-discrimination lawsuits. By a vote of 20 to 10, the Senate voted down an amendment to Missouri's human rights statutes, which would have exposed supporters of biblical marriage to hostile complaints of discrimination. The amendment, offered by Senator Jill Shoup of Creve Corps, would have added so-called, quote, sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes under the state's anti-discrimination statutes. Healthcare providers and institutions opposed to assisted suicide gained more legal protections under a new Arizona law that aims to ensure doctors and nurses aren't fired for their beliefs if the practice is ever legalized. The bill lists assisted suicide, euthanasia, or, quote, mercy killing as some activities that a doctor, nurse, or healthcare entity may decline to participate in. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey signed the legislation into law. Two men spray-painted and smashed the windshield of a tour bus used by the National Organization for Marriage in broad daylight Thursday in New York City, the pro-marriage group says. The men spray-painted what appeared to be slogans in favor of LGBT rights for lesbian, bisexual, gay, and transgender individuals. One said, quote, trans-liberation. 
Indonesian authorities have banned three churches from holding religious activities. According to UCA News, the Methodist Church Indonesia, Batak Christian Protestant Church, and a house used by Catholics for catechism classes were ordered to close their doors. Local authorities said they could not guarantee the safety of the communities. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt. And we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance, Sunday at 9.15 a.m. right here on KFUO Radio. Each week I have the privilege of producing a quarter hour of message, music, and prayer blended together to fit a special theme for that day. You'll hear messages of hope and complete confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You'll hear choirs and instrumentals to support the message as well. So I invite you to join me. That's Moments of Assurance, Sunday morning at 9.15 a.m. This is World Lutheran News Digest. The work by the he we long as Lutheran Fahawan. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is the Reverend Craig Mueller, who is a retired captain of the U.S. Navy and is also the director of the LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Craig, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's great to be here again. Tell me a bit about yourself and about the ministry to the Armed Forces. Sure. Again, just a quick uh, introduction. I'm uh, Chaplain Craig Mueller, retired from the United States Navy Chaplain Corps after about 28 years for reserve and active duty. And my last duty was uh, Deputy Chaplain of the Marine Corps coming out of the Pentagon. And then I received this call to serve as Director for the Ministry of the Armed Forces for Luther Church, Missouri Senate, and went ahead and retired from the Navy and took this position and uh, have been here about two and a half years now and truly enjoying the opportunity to work with our Missouri Senate chaplains, active reserve, guard, and even our civil air patrol chaplains, and plus their families and recruiting and, and doing what I can to help protect their religious liberties. And we have many, many chaplains in the armed forces. We do. And we're always looking for more, but uh, we're around 70 active duty, but a whole 150 total counting our reserve active all components for military chaplaincy. Well, the military has changed quite a bit over the years, I'm sure, in your career. I'm a little older than you. I, I come out of the Vietnam era, and it certainly was very different then as well. What are some of the changes and challenges that you see as a chaplain now facing our armed forces? Well, that's a great question, and uh, there's a number of them, just because, as you mentioned, even in my brief uh, career, when I first came on, we, we still only had men on combat ships. Mm-hmm. Um, so even that transition from women onto combat ships, and now as you follow the news, uh, more and more emphasis on uh, putting women into more combat roles. So that's certainly an issue that many people are struggling with, uh, either pro or con, but from their own church and conscience uh, perspective of what roles women can play in the military, from service to actual combat, as we would call trigger pullers, as my fellow Marines would call it, you know, somebody that's actually out there as an offensive weapon to to take out our enemy, you know, what is the role? So they're struggling with that. And then, of course, as you know, our whole society is struggling, first of all, with the fall of DOMA 
to uh, you know the homosexual um, equal rights part of the piece of uh, what can they do or can't do uh, in the military. And now, of course, the latest big uh, challenge is the transgender uh, issue of whether you know the military should pay for it. Uh, whether they should be accepted into the military. As you know, all the way until just this last year, they were not allowed to even join the military uh, due to medical reasons, even the, you know, even the physical issues. But those are some challenges ahead of us. You know? And then, of course, with the administration change and just the future of our, our defense department, you know, the shrinking, the growing, you know, it seems to be a constant up and down uh, for whether, how big we're going to be and how many people we need. Well, one thing that's being done, as uh, as you pointed out, the integration of women now into combat roles, the military seems to be being used almost as a social experiment. Now, supporters of that will point back to the days when President Truman, by executive order, integrated black units into the uh, military before they were segregated. Uh, and usually were just relegated to uh, things like uh, laboring labor units and the, like, and the like. That proved to be a very good thing. Certainly African-Americans have shown that they are more than capable of handling uh, military roles, that they are indeed patriots. And it did indeed, I think, help mainstream both white and black to see just green or navy blue, if you will. Sure. But this is a little different, I think, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, to be clear about it, I think the difference is, of course, uh, and that's one of the biggest arguments about, you know, is it a uh, a race issue or a behavior issue or, you know, we clearly, I, one of the greatest things I noticed, even coming in as a, you know, a boy who grew up in South Dakota, never seen the ocean, never flew in an airplane, joined the Navy as a chaplain, and how diverse our military already is. They really do, as you mentioned, um, you know, they see green or soldier Sailor, Coast Guardsman, and, and they are very colorblind. And it's one of the most exciting things I've ever worked in is the diversity and how everyone is accepted regardless of their of their race or creed. But now what we're seeing is actual behaviors that are being passed off as um, equal rights is the same thing as race. I mean, whereas a sexual behavior, attraction, same-sex attraction or transgender is a completely different issue for, for many of our folks, our young Christian uh, men and women who are serving, because that's going against what they believe in the Bible about God's creation of male and female and obviously a marriage between one man and woman. So they're being challenged not just because of a race issue, but they're saying that a behavior issue is something that I'm being asked to accept or even more celebrate. Yeah, that was going to be the next point, is there are, are actually some directives from military headquarters that things like gay pride must be celebrated by all. Yeah, actually, just to clarify a little bit on that, the June is now what they call LGBT uh Celebration Month, or I don't know if they'll change it this year, but when I was there, it was uh, used to just be uh, Gay Pride Month, but now it's obviously including all the uh, different references. Yeah. You, know, you run out of uh, what they are. Yeah, <laughs> events. change. But they do, you know, tr- and just a little background. Traditionally, the military has always had different months, and, and parts of our country have too, like February is uh, African American History Month. Oh, I think I got that wrong. That's January. And then there's Women History Month, uh, Asian Pacific Islander Month, you know, all these, again, ethnic uh, uh, groups that we celebrate and recognize their contributions to America as great American citizens. And they have determined that June is that uh, month for um, LGBT celebration. And again, that's where it puts some of our young folks in uh 
a dilemma because they certainly don't want to be labeled as a bigot or not participating. But at the same time, it truly goes against their conscience and their religious belief. And can they be punished if they say, I cannot take part in this celebration? Not so far. I mean, the laws and the... uh, Policies that we've seen and that are out there are that they can do. It's almost falls under RIFRA, you know, the re- religious freedom of religion. I gotta remember what RIFRA stands yeah. for. Get the lawyer on deck here next <laughs> or something. But it, but uh, clearly they can do a conscience uh, and religious appeal to say that this goes against my religious belief and work with their chaplain. And uh, and so far I have, you know, we haven't seen any cases of uh, someone being really forced to do that against their conscience and and causing some really. Uh, blowback for them personally in their own conscience issues. Um, but it puts them in a dilemma, you know, as a, a young enlisted sailor and your staff NCO or your chief petty officer tells you, you be at this uh, event. Okay, technically you can't order me to be there, but who am I as an E1 yeah. going to tell you I'm not going to go? So, I mean, there's all those things that our, our young men and women struggle with. And that's, again, the role of a chaplain could help them walk through that in confidentiality and, and privacy and help find a good alternative route to keep their conscience pure and uh, protected. Well, the other thing I, I keep wondering about are... Um are the training standards. Now, I, I don't think anyone can possibly argue that an Asian American or an African American or a, a white American are incapable of doing the same tasks. But there are physical differences between men and a woman. Artillery, for example, you've seen the size of some of those shells. Can they handle that? That's a question. I don't know if it's being even addressed. Or are they just lowering the standards to say, yes, you must accept these people, these women in this role? Sure. That's a good question, you know, and just from what I know, and again, I've been out now two and a half years, so it doesn't take long for things to change. But from my understanding and reading and and briefing is that the standards are not going to be lowered. So um, for especially for infantry or those kinds of physically challenging and demanding positions in our military. And so if they can qualify with that, supposedly that's the policy, then they can they can do it. But I mean, it's it is a fact. And um, we know that even when the Marine Corps did a study a few years ago with an all-male uh, infantry battalion and then one integrated, the results showed that the all-male infantry battalion did much better uh, in whatever kind of testing they did um, to show that. And again, it's not, it, it is sometimes just does come down to physical uh, issues. I mean, it, it's it's still 70 pounds, no matter what what you are. <laughs> if you have to carry 70 pounds on your back and then, uh, you know, hike so many miles to get to the enemy or take that hill. I mean, it's just a fact of life. It, it is a physical, grueling, difficult uh, vocation to be uh, in that kind of a, an environment. It's amazing how heavy an M14 can become after a 10-mile hike. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, as a chaplain, I never carried that. <laughs> For me, it's just carrying the Bibles and, and my communion set even after uh, 17 miles gets heavy everything gets heavy after uh, true. that long well, as you pointed out you know the the chaplains do do work with the uh, directly with the combat troops among other things and they, they have their duties within the peacetime military as well but you can never tell what's going to happen and we had an incident not all that long ago where a chaplain by the name of Matthew Christensen, who is at the 1st Battalion, 50th Infantry Regiment, was presented the U.S. Army's Soldier Medal, which is the highest decoration the Army can give for non-combat service. Yes. You're, you're familiar with that incident? I sure am. In fact, he's one of our Missouri Senate uh, Army chaplains, a, ah. great, a great chaplain and a great guy and a great family. And 
I think it's fascinating about that story is it does show what we were talking about earlier is that he was on call or basically the duty chaplain, which means you're you're available 24-7. That's just your duty. But the fact that these uh, soldiers called their chaplain before anybody else because of that relationship and trust they have with a chaplain. Of course, I really invite people to follow up on that story or Google it or whatever, but it's just fascinating how God put this guy in the right place because... I don't know if I could have done that. You oh, know, I, he obviously had some training when he was an enlisted soldier before he became a chaplain that enabled him to save lives. Well, let's recap here exactly what this man did. I mean, I I saw the decoration ceremony. I followed the reports on that, and I'm just blown away by what this man did. At risk to his own life, and he saved other lives at the at the at the same time. Absolutely, and I really encourage it. The, the video of his presentation is is just wonderful because he gives a. You know, the captain or, or his colonel uh, gives a great story. But basically, yeah, the guy, uh, the one soldier was uh, is intoxicated and, and very depressed and angry and had machetes, knives and, and weapons laying around. And he had uh, some other guys in the barracks kind of pinned hostage. And when the chaplain showed up, he had one uh, machete to one of the, his fellow soldiers' neck. And it was clearly a life and death situation. And the chaplain acted heroically and somehow got him in a the chokehold or whatever it takes to to safely get him away from the other soldier. So he saved that soldier's life. Then, of course, ultimately, by t- disarming the soldier, he saved him from killing himself, too. It was very distraught. And, uh, and again, it, it's not so much the... I, Focus, and I know Chaplain Christensen very well, a humble, humble servant of God. And what he would say, and he did a little bit in his presentation, is that it's just God's providence of having him there uh, with his skill sets, but also not only save that guy's physical life, but have that opportunity mm-hmm. to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And you know, as he's going through in a different, a very difficult position in his life, uh, that it would cause him to go that far. I noticed that in the uh, in the video, the same thing that you were just saying, and that really struck me, where that he was so concerned with the with the perpetrator in this in this case, he really really wanted to help the soldier both physically and spiritually with his problem. Absolutely, and and again, we just praise God for uh, having uh, Chaplain Christensen there and, and the the saving the lives and the opportunity to to give the glory to God for for having him there. But again, it just shows, I think, you know, just the important critical aspect of why we have chaplains. Uh-huh. It's not just free. It, well, the number one reason, as we clearly know, it's the free exercise. It's a constitutional right that our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen should not have to leave their religion or their conscience or their beliefs at the door when they sign up for the military. We're, we're asking them to defend our freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. So they should have access to chaplains to provide their faithful or, or somehow protect their religious rights so they can exercise their religious liberties. Well, you see, uh, I've seen photos of of, uh, during World War II before missions were taken over uh, over Nazi Germany, you know, where they would be holding religious services for the for the airmen who might not be coming back to give them the courage to do what needed to be done. I know even during the Battle of the Bulge where. The troops were surrounded and best on. They were still having religious services, and they had <laughs> the soldiers flocked to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's part of you, who you are. Again, it's so critical to just reemphasize in today's world that these young men and women who give up so much to join should not have to be asked to leave their religious freedoms at the door. Unfortunately, some people are asking that and even demanding it. One uh, 
group that's been especially on the forefront of that is an outfit called the Freedom From Religion Foundation, headed by a gentleman by the name of Mikey Weinstein. And uh, he has been a bee in the bonnet of the chaplaincy for a long time. And his latest one was where he decided that uh, his organization decided that they didn't want prayers to be allowed on a New Hampshire Air National Guard base. And the Chaplain Alliance, of which we are a part, uh, sent a message to both the uh, Air Force and to the uh, and to the base saying, this is wrong. And looks like we scored a win on this one. Uh, the base commander said, uh-uh, we're going to continue doing it. It's the men's right. It's the airmen's right. Sure. And I think, uh, I'm not sure, I think there's actually two groups. I think this one's a separate outfit out of uh, Wisconsin at ah. uh, Freedom From Religion. But it, but either way, um, the importance and the misunderstanding there, and it, and it brings it up very nicely, Kip, is the bottom line is, again, these are men and women who are Americans serving in the vocation of the military, and they should not be asked to not have access to religion, to have prayers at their events, to have a pastor, a priest, a rabbi, what someone that they can talk to that's of their faith group. How could we dare ask them that they, when they sign the, take the oath to defend all of our freedoms, to say, okay, prayer is gone from my life now for the next four years, 20 years, and I can't practice my religion as long as I'm wearing the uniform. So that's what's absurd about it. And I really pre- appreciate First Liberty uh, stepping up to the plate there and, and, just reiterating, and again, not to be uh, degrading to anybody, but just to remind that, that this has been since the foundation of our country, since George Washington. In fact, George Washington, one of my fellow chaplains, just reminded me one of the first things he said while I'm on this battlefield is two things, civil liberty and religious liberty. Mm-hmm. That's why we're fighting for you know during the Revolutionary War, and those are key, civil and religious liberty. And there were chaplains with the Revolutionary yep, Army. That was one of the first things that uh, General Washington made sure of. And ever since then, you know, any historian can track down the importance of uh, having the free exercise of religion, even for our military people. Well, another place where it's being challenged right now, something that's going to be heard before the U.S. Supreme Court, apparently, is the case of Lance Corporal Monifa Sterling of the United States Marine Corps. Now, apparently, she got in trouble when she had posted a a Bible passage in her work area. And her supervisor didn't like it, told her to take it down, and she didn't. And, well, he he took it down, and she put it back up, blah, blah, blah. Make a long story short, she was court-martialed and uh, discharged from the military. Yes, that's a a good case. You probably have your... your, Lawyers from those cases that can explain the law part of it better than me. And also I need to reiterate that the LCMS is involved in this. We have an amicus brief. Yes, that's right. That's what I was told, too, that uh, did an amicus brief. And, of course, uh, Chapter Alliance for Religious Liberty is a big uh, also proponent of that. And I guess... Just again, this is from my perspective as an endorser for Luther Church, Missouri Synod. The key challenge and concern that we have is that the uh, courts of the military made it look like she had to prove that she was religious first. So there really wasn't any opportunity for her to to do it. It's just kind of, again, one of your lawyer experts could probably really show the importance. And and again, it doesn't mean there's always more to the story. Mm -hmm. But the big concern that we have for is that undue restraint on your religious liberty. So if I am in my office and I have my Lutheran study Bible, my crucifix 
by devotional material, my favorite Bible passage, and I invite my staff to come in for a meeting, a stand-up meeting. Some may be Christians, some may not be, some may be Marines or sailors. It's still my office and my space. And so what they're saying is you can't have any of that in there, which then would inhibit my religious liberty to... This is my office where I, I live and I want to have my prayer and devotions and so forth. So it's really important. So we're looking forward to seeing if the uh, Supreme Court takes that case. Something else I think it needs to be pointed out is that uh, the military justice system and the civil justice system function very differently. As you pointed out, the uh, military court was saying, well, you have to prove that you're devout. But she's the defendant. Right. Defendant doesn't in civil courts. The, defend, the, the burden of proof is on the other side. Yeah, very good point. And I, again, I said that's and that that's what's kind of cool about it too, if you will, is that both, even though they're separate, and this was news to me because of this case, I just learned this that uh, both still answer to the U.S. Supreme Court. Though that's your final mm-hmm. appeal, if you will, even though the military has their version of their Supreme Court, you can always go one if they take the case. Chaplain, the uh, this is a fascinating topic, and it's just. The entire concept to me of the of the chaplaincy and, and, and its relationship with the military, the blending of the left-hand and right-hand kingdoms, is such a vital issue, I think, in our nation's defense. Young men and women need this kind of spiritual support to do what they're going to have to do. Absolutely. And uh, I, again, thank you for the opportunity. And I hope that I'm sure your listeners have heard me say several times that we'll really need for all of our fellow American citizens for thank God for these young men and women who serve in this vocation voluntarily. But please, we must work together to protect their religious liberties that they, too, don't have to leave their beliefs at the door, that they can go and serve our nation in the most dangerous and austere conditions and still have access to a place or someone where they can exercise their religious liberties. And And I would also suggest to our listening audience that they want to go to the lcms.org site. And, of course, there's the whole there's a link to the chaplaincy as well. But there's also on the the, uh, uh, Lutheran Reporter link, you can actually see the ceremony where Chaplain Christensen was awarded his medal for his incredible courage. Absolutely. It, it's worth the, it's worth watching that video just to see it's in action. It can't, it, I mean, the video is powerful. Pastor, thank you so much for appearing on the program. God thank bless you, you and your work. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.